Welcome to episode 44 of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. For any new listeners out there, my name is Matt Zapala and I am your host. Guys, this week's special guest is Kali Dal, all the way from Canada. Kali is an absolute guru and he's changing the way we look at health and fitness. He is challenging the status quo from the health and fitness industry standard approach to goal setting and it's evident through his book Feel Like It, which Kelly is the author of. Through this book, Kelly encourages people to move their body in ways that they enjoy. He also encourages people to dig deeper and ask themselves how they want to feel as opposed to what their goals are at the current time. I absolutely love this approach that Kelly has taken and he is definitely challenging the status quo and changing the way people approach their current situation with health and fitness. But that's all from me, guys. Kelly Dell, welcome to the weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast all the way from Canada, my friend. How are you? Oh, pleasure to join you. I'm doing great. It's, uh, I know we're in contrasting climates here, so I know it's cold probably where you are and it's piping hot here in Ottawa. So I'm um, happy to join you and get out of the heat and uh, talk some uh, health and fitness with you. Yeah, I'm pumped to get in this show. I was listening to your chat with a good friend of mine, Dale Sidebottom, the other day, and um, you, you have an awesome story. And uh, we've, I know we've had this podcast in the pipeline for a while now, so I'm pumped to get into it. Before we go any further, Cully, can you paint a picture of where you are in your house at the moment? I was quite intrigued about the, the situation that you've got, just for the listeners at home. See, didn't you just violate one of the podcasters' code here? I just told you I was with my setup, and now you're bringing it up. So I'm actually... <laughs> Too funny. I'm actually sitting in the, the stairwell, almost leading to my basement because my daughter, we just put our daughter to sleep and I've got two big dogs that are uh, interruption kings. And uh, so the only way I can really protect myself from interruption is to put myself in the stairwell, close the door uh, to the main level and, uh, you know, sort of put up this little buffer. So I'm very cozy, but this is not my typical office. This is not where I record my podcast on so my show but it's a one safe haven. And sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? Unbelievable, mate. That's commitment. I really, really thank you for that. It is just for the listeners at home. It is about 9 p.m. there and it's 11 a.m. in in Melbourne. So I'm just starting my day and Kelly's just finished it. So pumped to get into the podcast, mate. Now, you're, you're a man of many trades. You're spreading an important message about movement and you're reshaping the way the, the health and fitness industry seems to look at exercise and movement in general, which I absolutely am a big advocate for, Kelly. And I'm going to let you tell that story a bit later on, mate. But let's bring it right back to the beginning. And what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, so the, the uh, well, to paint a picture, I mean, that's a great way to start to actually paint a picture. I grew up in one of the flattest parts of Canada, the prairies, so right in the middle of uh, Canada and uh, a small town, about three to 4,000 people called Altona. And uh, so farm country, really flat, really harsh winters, very cold winters, but beautiful um, summer and uh, beautiful summers that is. And so uh, I grew up, that environment was really privy to, you know, if you're a kid growing up there, there's not, let's just say there's not a lot of things to do, but there were a lot of opportunities to play sports. That was um, where I, I, I uh, donated most of my time growing up. Ever since I was, you know, a preschooler, like my daughter, I have a four-year-old daughter, so as long as, when I was three or four, I was into things like learning how to hit a golf ball, playing uh, soccer. Um, I remember the first house we grew up had a tennis court nearby, so always running around the tennis court and chasing tennis balls. I was always sort of around that stuff. Uh, my parents were active people, um, particularly cross-country skiing. I'm not, and that's not something you'll find out in your part very often, but uh, in the winter. So they were active outdoors in the winter, which is a nice thing to be exposed to. But growing up, I was all, if there was a sport going on in school, I was around it. So um, and I, it was, it was one of those things where I just would try everything, anything with a ball. I, I, I loved anything that required hand-eye coordination. So I played badminton, uh, basketball, volleyball, um, ice hockey, of course, but even in the summers we'd play what's called pad hockey. So, uh, hockey on a, on a, on a cement rink, uh, without skates, obviously. And so my memories, my most fondest memories of my youth were out playing with my friends, 
at any season, um, a lot of these, these, uh, a lot of my friends I grew up with, uh, I mean, dating back all the way to kindergarten. So from five years old to when I graduated high school and some of them I'm friends with still today, of course, but my upbringing was sports heavy and that really set, I think the tone when you combine that with my passion for playing certain sports, baseball eventually became um, my primary sport. Uh, my passion involved with the mental side of all of this, this process of competing and high performance and whatnot, uh, that's, that all blossomed from that background. And so that launched me into what has ultimately been a multiple decade pursuit of understanding the mental side of physical activity, mental side of exercise, and the mental side of sport. And that's sort of, the, that's where the upbringing hit. But yes, the, the flattest part of Canada, the flattest, one, I, I'd argue one of the flattest parts in the world, that's where I grew up on, this little tiny town, like an island, a prairie island. And, uh, and oh, and a little sidebar, we actually have a sister, uh, sister town, sister city um, in Australia called Emerald. And at one point, our two town festivals used to have some sort of alliance where We'd have a festival, I think at the time when I grew up, there was a festival queen. Uh, if they won festival queen in Altona, they took a trip down to Emerald, Australia and uh, participated in their festival and vice versa. So we had this sister city relationship with Australia. So my little town, oddly enough, has a relationship with uh, your great country. So yeah, so that's kind of the, a, a snapshot of my background. There you go, a little Australian and Canadian connection there, my friend. Now, I love the fact that you mentioned as a child, you were always outdoors and you're always, you know, playing sport and anything that, that had you moving, you, you were involved in. And I think in particular nowadays, a lot of, a lot of young children are opting to, to play video games or, or go to their smart devices instead of getting outdoors and playing. And, and looking back now, Kelly, why do you think that that pivotal moment in your life where you were able to go outside and utilize nature and play any ball sports has shaped you into you know, the person you are today? And why is play and movement so important starting from a young age? Well, I, I, I always find this conversation fascinating because, you know, this, this idea of play is so fundamental to our genetic code. I mean, these are, it's a, it's a skill, it's a, an activity, it's a process that we need to develop fully as humans. And here we are in 2019 talking about, uh, and the conversation is always bringing back play. How do we get play back into the lives of our kids? And, and I grew up, of course, in a time, and, you know, you know I was, I was uh, saying this on uh, Dale Sidebottom's uh, podcast recently, of how I grew up in a time where, uh, um, you know, play was just more natural, that we didn't have as many, you know, borderline addictive uh, distractions from, from play. And I'm not saying that uh, playing video games can't be some form of play, but, you know, just the, the idea of screen time in general just wasn't the same obstacle for me growing up as it would be now. And so the times have changed, which means that, you know, we have to spend um, a lot more conscious effort as educators, as parents in, in trying to create room for that to, to grow because it's, it just seems so odd to, to be talking about how to bring it back when it's such a fundamental part of being human. And when you, when you strip that away or you strip opportunities for that away and, you know, I sometimes talk about the difference between um, being engaged or uh, engaging in something or being entertained and, we live in a world now, especially with younger and younger um, people that, you know, entertainment is a big part of how they spend their time when, you know, they're not in school and whatnot, and there's less physical engagement. And so um, they're not kind of reaching out into the world and having those play-based opportunities and, and, and uh, which includes, of course, a lot of physical activity and exercise. They're kind of getting used to being able to, uh, or sorry, getting used to um, being entertained by devices and, and things like that and television. And so it's a really di difficult thing to break up. But I just, again, I, I find it so fascinating. And at times, um, you, know, at, you know, as a, a physical educators would certainly attest to, it can be very uh, uh, demoralizing might be a strong word, but it's uh, difficult to kind of see how now we have to make this sort of a conscious thing, whereas it never really used to. And it really never used to be. And so in my work, um, a lot of my message, I suppose, uh, wraps up with uh, or, uh, intertwines with play in that I try to get people, I really try to get people to um, focus on fitness as a relationship, exercise as a relationship, uh, rather than, 
you know, just a series of outcomes and goal achievements. And through that relationship, we can tap into what I think is a propensity for play that never really goes away, whether you're, you know, seven, 17 or 47. And by play, I don't mean participating in what we would call childish physical activity where we're playing childlike games, but it's just the idea of putting your skills that you have out in the world and challenging yourself and, and doing so in, I'll say, a non-serious way, in a way that is different from other contexts in our lives, because this is something that we need to thrive. And the research suggests, of course, that it's paramount to our health and well-being, particularly our mental health. And, and so when we look back at the evolution of some of the alternatives to uh, you know, uh, play-based physical activity, video games you mentioned, uh, smartphones now, tablets, and you know, the list goes on. You know, it's a different game these days. And so we have to be more, you know, unfortunately in a way we have to be more um, strategic and, and conscious about how we bring this into our lives on a daily basis. And it's not just, you know, for kids in school anymore. It's also for, you know, the grown-ups out there too, right? I mean, this is something that you know, there's a reason why we still respond uh, very positively as adults when we find moments where we play. We might not even think we're doing it, but how good it still feels to do that. And that just tells us, I mean, for me, from my perspective, when we have moments where uh, we are kind of uh, in a state of play, if you will, that it feels good. And, it, and there's a reason. That's, that's our genetic code telling us that this is important and we need to keep uh, including this in our lives. 100% Kali. I love everything that you've just said there, man. And in particular, a thing that stood out for me was a relationship with exercise. Through my sort of transition into movement, I developed a, a bad relationship with exercise and an obsessive relationship, relationship with exercise. For the listeners at home, can you define what a relationship with exercise looks like and, and how we can have sort of a balanced approach to exercise, fun, life, and without tipping the scale at one end. Yeah. And so that's a very good, so you're talking about the, the, the one end for you is the sort of the obsessive end. And then the other end is an, an avoidance uh, or, you know, sometimes I call it an act, you know, to be dorky about it, an activity aversion where you don't want to do it. You never feel like doing it. And so there's a wide range, but one of the things that came out of my work and my, my work, uh, primarily focused on a lot of field work interviews or sorry, field interviews with uh, people who are loyally active for sometimes up to decades, but loyally active for years and years and years and interviews with people who have struggled. They're on that, uh, they call it the revolving door. They stop and start, they stop and start and they can't really stick to um, a routine very long. And they usually their motivation runs out uh, very quickly after joining. And so when I started conducting these interviews and I got into the weeds I started noticing that there's a great metaphor that really fits how people experience um, physical activity. And that metaphor is a relationship metaphor, almost like a dating metaphor. And so the question I often lead with in a lot of my talks is, so what is your relationship with physical activity right now? And this is something, you know, your listeners, I pose to them. Are you somebody who is, as I say, single and searching for something to come along to really cap, you know, uh, spark you and, and catch your interest? Are you, uh, are you divorced and disillusioned? You know, you're on the sidelines and, and you just had an awful experience. And, and so you've got an aversion towards physical activity and you, you don't really have a lot of motivation because you've been so frustrated. Or in the case uh, that I, I talk about in my book is you can also be widowed from fitness that something comes along and you have a health uh, situation that sort of forces a breakup between you and exercise that you obviously didn't want when things are going really well. And now you've got to reconnect with physical activity in a new way because something's changed. Your body has changed because of an injury or your health in some way. And so we can look at physical activity through this lens. Like what is my relationship? Because what we experience now in today's fitness culture, and it's been around for 40, 50, maybe uh, 60 years now is that fitness is, is always framed or in, in, in health and fitness is always framed as a series of outcomes. Like fitness is a look, it's a measure, like how much you can do this, how fast you can do this. And, but when we start turning the conversation to, you know, what's my relationship, how strong is my relationship with movement? 
Because when we look at all of the things that we would say, and it could be interpersonal between people or your relationship with a hobby, relationship with a sport, whatever. When you look at all of our strong relationships, let's call them our loyal marriages to things, that things that we stick to on a regular basis. The real reason, when I was talking to loyally active people and I was doing these interviews, the reason, now these are people who, you know, by the measures, the objective measures, are fitter people. They can do things that a lot of us can't because they've been sticking to fitness for a long time. But when you, <clears throat> pardon me, when you, when you, um, you start asking about, you know, what keeps bringing them back, it's a feeling. Their, their relationship is defined by a feeling. It's a feeling they get when they're doing the things they like to do. And, and when we walk into a new fitness journey and sometimes we physically walk into a new gym, um, or a new studio, whatever the, the context is, one of the first questions we're asked by the fitness industry and representatives, representatives of the fitness industry is, what's your goal? You know, what is, what is my goal? What's my goal? And the case that I make in all of this, in, this, in today's health and fitness discourse, is that that's not necessarily a bad question. And sometimes I get accused of being anti-goal, and I'm not anti-goal, but it's the timing of it. And if the most loyally active people um, out there can define the strength of their loyalty based on the feeling that it brings them, not just after they're done, which always feels good after a good workout, but they like something while they're doing it. There's something about it. There's a bit of adventure. There's a bit of lightheartedness. There's a bit of, ex they like the explosive movement, movement patterns of lifting. They like um, the peacefulness of doing a yoga, a flow yoga class, whatever it is. When we, when we tease those things out, we're, what we're ultimately saying is that there's a more important question to ask at the start of the journey. And that question is not, what's my goal? That can come later. The question is, how, how do I want this to feel? How do I want this time? Perhaps it might be my fourth, fifth, sixth kick at the can here to reinvent my fitness journey, to restart my fitness journey. How do I want this to feel this time? Because if we can answer those questions, then we can base our decisions on um, a motivational foundation that has sustainability. So our routine can be built around a feeling or a set of feelings that are then, by all accounts, by all the 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 uh, by what the research has been telling us for decades, is is um, um, sustainable. It's based on a motivational uh, orientation that we can continue. Uh, to fuel that continues to fuel us in the future. And so right now, today's fitness culture is sort of missing some key parts of the research. And it's definitely um, ha ha is participating in a discourse or creating a discourse that is contrary to what I've learned from interviewing loyally active people. And so it becomes a tale of two questions to me at the start of a fitness journey is, am I, am I really focused on, um, the question, what's my goal? And am I, am I going to be self-sacrificing and no excuses and, you know, suck it up and just chase that goal? Or am I going to find something first that like, well, what activities fit me? What activities do I enjoy the most? And really have a, a, a reflective experience on that question and then go out and with that in mind, try and build a routine that finally fits me and I know that it fits me because day in, day out, or let's just say week in, week out, I feel like repeating it. I feel like going to that, that class. I feel like going to see you, my trainer. I feel like I have that, that feel like it feeling, which ultimately is what I say is the holy grail of motivation, that you have a positive anticip anticipation for your next bout of exercise, your, your next class, your next run, whatever it is. Right now, we're not having that conversation about how is it we need that to feel for us to continue it, not just weeks from now, but years from now. Kelly, I absolutely love that question, mate. How, how do you want this to feel? And I, I really think that's a, such a valuable resource for, for trainers out there, physical edu education teachers, or people that are still, you know, trying to find their way in the fitness, in their own fitness journey. So I really think that that's a question we all should start incorporating in our, in our lives. And I love the fact that you're digging deeper with with these questions and you're really trying to get to know people's, you know, wants and needs and and 
how they want to experience fitness. And I think that's the key to sustainability. At the moment, we're, you know, we're just touching the surface with the questions and we're sort of avoiding these these hard-hitting questions that ask why and go deeper. And I'm all about with this with this channel as well, asking why, because there's always a, a another answer and there's always um, uh, a, a further a way you can dig deeper into a conversation to extract more information from someone. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, when you, when you look at, so, you know, part of my background too, outside of living on one of the coldest, flattest places in Canada, <laughs> uh, is I, I spent enough time um, performing sort of cultural analyses of certain facets of fitness culture. And so I, my perspectives on, you know, when I'm, on when I'm speaking um, with an individual or trying to help an individual, I also bring this cultural framework i suppose with with me and that and that framework is really um pretty critical at the what we'll call the standard fitness industry position the, the mindset that is perpetuated towards our body and um and even how we get active um the fact that you know right now a lot of people think that fitness has to suck fitness has to be painful fitness if you're you know the, there's the adage you know you if if it doesn't hurt you're not doing it right there's these um I love looking at actually some of these adages, the no pain, no gain. And, and when you take all of these uh, little phrases in their entirety and you look at the history of where they come from and how they, uh, how popular they are, they are in the public discourse about health and fitness, we come to see like, well, what are these, these piles of thoughts that we circulate now very readily in social media? What are they, what kind of mindset are they creating? And it's one that really says that, you know, Failure is a character flaw that if you don't um, achieve your goals, it's a matter of bad work ethic or you're lazy and no one ever thinks about whether um, or the conversation is rare that you have, uh, you have a rare, it's rare that the conversation emerges about, you know, like this journey isn't a fit for me, or maybe this journey isn't a fit for me. Maybe these choices aren't a fit for me. Maybe how I exercise is, um, is part of the obstacle to my motivation. And this is one of the reasons why I can't seem to keep, uh, to get and keep momentum in my routine. And so the, if you look at the bigger picture, you step back from um, what we can get into the very uh, specific minutia to even like calorie counting and, um, and, and even the, the, the nuts and bolts of program design when you're talking about being a health and fitness professional. But one of the things we don't often look at or question is the water we're all swimming in together, right? That's culture, fitness culture. And that fitness culture informs our mindset towards moving. And that mindset influ influences the methods that we take to, to get active, to stay, and to stay active. Those methods include like, the, you know, are we open-minded to trying new things or not? Or do we keep trying, you know, going back to the relationship metaphor, do we keep going back to our ex hoping it's going to work out this time? Or are we open-mindedness to say like, we, you know what, that's not working. I'm not just going to go and join that same gym because it's in my neighborhood. I'm going to actually say like, I got to figure out something new because that old way isn't working. And, and so when we look at culture, when we bring culture into the fray, we see a clear connection that culture influences our mindset, that mindset influences how we get active, the things we choose uh, to include in our routine, and those things, how we do them and their choices, ultimately influence how motivated we get and you know, the motivation we get from being active and then how we can maintain that going forward. So there's a clear connection. And right now, I would say you know, fitness industry um, just lops off the, the mindset and the culture part. And they really focus on methods and hoping that those methods help people stay motivated over the long term. But even as a whole, the fitness industry is still pretty short term focused. It's, 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 you know, getting, you know, losing X amount of weight in X amount of time. It's still very much short term and focused. And I know that you, you talk about in your podcast a lot about the idea of sustainability, like trying to create uh, our routines and habits that are sustainable, that are healthy, of course, but sustainable. And so this is my angle to this work is this relationship angle. Our relationships are something that we have to nurture over time and we have to feed them appropriately. And, and, and fitness is less like a, you know, a series of finish lines, you know, which are the goals, but more about, um, you know, am I doing what's necessary to make sure that my marriage with movement is positive and motivating and, and rewarding along the way. So culture has a big role in all of that. And, and 
it's one of the things when I'm working one-on-one, it's like, I bring it up and like, you know, realize that you're not, no matter what today's culture kind of will, will, will suggest to, to us is that, you know, you're not a failure if you can't make it work. Millions of people, millions of people cannot make it work for themselves. They, they struggle. It's the struggle is the norm. It's not the, uh, it's, it's, it's not the common result. And so struggling is, is normal. And if that's the case, then, you know, we have to do a little bit better. We have to go a little, we have to go, you know, using your word, we have to go a little deeper to try and, um, personalize this process a little more for people. And it really, again, comes back to that question. Like, well, how do you want this to feel? Because that's a very individual question. I mean, we, when we talk about goal setting and I know I'm kind of going on several tangents here, but goal setting, you know, there really aren't that many types of goals. I mean, people set goals to lose weight. That's common one. They, they let, they, they, they want uh, to, maybe they want to improve a certain health measure or they want to improve, you know, their speed as they run, you know, they have those types of things, but generally speaking, there's a small basket of goals that people choose from at the start of their journey. When we talk about how you want your journey to feel, well, that opens the door. And, and now we're, we can work backwards from that. And the, the, the options you have for your fitness routine then also become wide, more widely open because now we're trying to find things that fit how you want to feel because we know, and the science supports this, that we know that when we find those things um, that were set up for way, or set up uh, way better for the long haul. And again, that's the sustainable sustainability part of this problem that the conversation is just not uh, very common these days. Yeah, Kelly. And you, you went on a few tangents there, but they all tie in. And I absolutely love that you went down those roads and you opened up those, those different perspectives for different people. So don't, don't stress at all there, my friend. Now, Kelly, we, as you may know, guys, that Kelly is the author of feel like it. So that is, that is a book basically, in a nutshell, explaining everything that Kelly's just gone through, but in page-to-page format. Now, Kelly, how did you start this book and, and what changed your thinking to, to this sort of mindset as opposed to how you were thinking before, if, it, if you were thinking that way? Well, it, you know, it's a classic story. I didn't think I would write a book about this topic. It was never a blip you know, on my radar at all. I, this is not where I thought I would go. I was actually in high-performance sports, so working with more elite athletes and developmental athletes who are in elite pathways and stuff like that. That's where I was settled for quite some time. And then I had this opportunity to take a a consulting assignment with a fitness center. And it's uh, an area that, uh, you know, would not, it's not, wasn't common for me. And so I got a chance to spend several years basically collecting data um, from every single member that would come in and join this fitness center. And so everyone who signed up to the gym, they would have a, a meeting with me and I discuss health and fitness there. I would base, essentially take their fitness histories, their exercise histories before they came in all in an effort to, at least I was mandated to help re- improve member retention. Is there something in what people are saying and doing, whether they're loyally active or they've got a history of struggle that we can somehow build a program or, or an intervention to help them stick to, in this case, stick to the gym, but really ultimately stick to the choices that they're making when they're at the gym. And uh, now this is a big fitness center, lots of different activities available, sports, uh, uh, you know, outdoor sports. So it was sort of a great laboratory to, to do this. And when I was doing this, um, when I was on this assignment, I just kind of heard some things and I kind of alluded to them before, but I started hearing that the loyally active people, yes, they, they are... Um, you know, they have goals, they do work hard, absolutely, but not all work is created equal. They keep on doing work that they like. And, and when I started really deep diving into the histories of uh, people who struggled, they also worked very hard. Like, this is the thing that was confounding is, is, you know, you, you, you know, the January rush, the New Year's rush of people who often have resolutions and they join a gym, you know, they're, they have a lot of energy. They, they put in a lot of work, but the work eventually fizzles because that effort doesn't ever match with something they really like, because that's the magic formula is when you have that energy, you have that interest in being active and getting more healthy. Um, and that, that energy, that interest really clicks with an activity or two 
now you're off and running. So these people really never had a lot of uh, those resonances in their background. I'm talking about the, the people who struggle. And so the loyal had a lot of those. And so I was like, well, here we are still, uh, you know, and this is a few years back, but we're still at that point in time, always talking about goals. Like everyone has a goal, whether you struggle or you are loyally active, everyone who comes into the gym has a goal. Well, that can't be, I thought at that point, that can't be the answer then. It cannot be the answer to our sustainability um, problem. There has to be something more powerful separating the two. And, and that's where it came into, well, the people who are loyally active, yes, they work hard, but they also do things they like. They, the work that they're putting in is enjoyable to them. And the, the, the other part of this, and this is the thing that kind of blew me away, which was going back to your question, really triggered this, you know, the idea for writing a book and getting into this area. When I started asking people, uh, the, sorry, when I started asking loyally active people, and some people have been members of the gym for years and years, and in fact, decades, this particular facility was really old, but decades. And I started asking them, you know, uh, questions about their, their own fitness journey. You know, at some point, I, I, I was sitting down with someone and I just, you know, I, I just had this question. I said, well, how did, you know, so this one person was uh, uh, really into running. I said, well, do you remember the, the first time you really thought, man, I, you know, I really love this. I really love running. What was that moment? Like, how did that come about? And, and they're like, Oh, you know, it was back this time, you know, years ago. And I remember I was on this run and it was really enjoyable and whatever. And I just thought that was, you know, really cool. And, you know, they wanted to do it again. And it's like, great. So I started asking people kind of like you would at a party where you have a couple and you're like, you know, oh, how did you guys meet? You know, what's the story? I started asking that question, but <laughs> with loyally active people and their favorite exercise, their favorite fitness activity, right? And we're talking people who swam, didn't like, it was all over the map, right? People who ran, who mountain biked, all the rest. It was all over the map. And they always, always they told these fascinating stories about how they met, but it was like the moment you, you kind of fell in love with the thing, right? And this is why I use this relationship metaphor uh, so uh, so regularly is that it was it was a lot like falling in love with uh, you know like in with a person is it's just like a relationship is just like dating, right? And so when I was having these conversations, this spark really came for the book was that well these people when I when I started analyzing these meetings like oh you know it was in, this was this is how it came about this is the moment whatever a lot, almost all of the, the, those moments happened by accident. They weren't planned. So here we have these loyally active people who are really connected to maybe a couple of things. And often it's just one, like they just are married to one thing. They're loyal to one thing. And they, they you know, the, the fitness culture today, fitness industry today will say, well, they're very hardworking and they're very goal-oriented. And there's some aspects of that. But one thing that is missing is that thing really made them feel a certain way. But all of these um, marriages kind of happen by accident. Just like if you were dating and you, you know, enter a restaurant or a bar or whatever, and you just randomly encounter someone and strike up a conversation, you hit it off. Well, that's kind of what was happening with people in fitness. And I thought as someone who is mandated to kind of help this gym improve retention, I was like, that's not good enough. That idea of luck, you know, loyalty being dependent on luck is not good enough. That's not going to cut it. So how do we for someone who's coming off the street who has an exercise history that is haphazard or they maybe even don't really like uh, being active, but they think they should be active, how do we get those people to connect with something that can possibly give them that, you know, fall in love, at least fall in like, I always say, at least they find something that they like. Well, it's not going to come by asking people what their goal is. It will not come by that. You have to ask them, this is what I learned, you have to ask them, how is it you want this to feel? Because when you know that, when you can have that conversation, you can start asking, well, have you been doing things in the past that help you feel that way? And if not, which is usually the answer for people who struggle, what can we do here? Maybe it's also outside the gym, right? Because fitness isn't just, you know, indoors at a gym, whatever. But in this case, it was the gym. But like, what are, what are the things here that fit that? And when you make those connections with people, you say, let's, let's date a little, let's date fitness. Let's, let's, let's treat you as this single person and let's go out and let's date. Let's try and fit you trying to find your fit in all of the aspects that are, are, sorry, all the activities that are out there. Because these days, as you well know, 
we probably live in a day where we've never had so many options. Um, and some of them are indoors and, and, and outdoors. We have never had so many options. So the field, you know, playing the field, so to speak, the field is vast and there's something out there for everybody. And by that, I mean, there's something out there that fits everybody in a way that really makes them feel like returning time and time again. And this is the, this is really this, this set of conversations that I had, this, uh, this work at this one fitness center was really the catalyst for me to think there's, there's a conversation that's not being had here. And the more I went back to the literature, to the research, to, uh, to look at related research, I just said, well, the research is saying that, you know, we need to start changing some of the questions we've been asking. Kelly, that's an unreal journey, mate. I'm, you know, blown away by the, by the willingness to dig deeper and, and find a way that can suit everybody for this one common goal. And that's to move towards a, you know, a healthier life and, and a healthier lifestyle. Now, Kelly, you writing this book, did you ever, you know, have any, any moments where, um, where you're like, you know what, this is, this is hundred percent goal. Why is everyone not doing this in the fitness industry? And why do you think the fitness industry aren't adopting this sort of measure? that you find that works so well? That's a great question. And um, there, I guess there are certain pockets of researchers that are, you know, they're, they're pushing the envelope a little bit in this direction. So why has it not been part of, you know, the, the discourse? That is a great question. So one of it is that, um, honestly, I think that the fitness industry is, is really invested in, let's just call it the old way. And I don't mean to say that in, in, in a way that, um, is, is derogatory to some of the ways that, that have, you know, been some of the things of the past, because some of them really work well. And there's a certain fraction of the population that works very well, but there's an investment in, in that way. And there's an infrastructure built around it. And so that allow, you know, it's kind of like, the Titanic, it's hard to steer the Titanic. It's hard to make these big, quick changes. And so, you know, people tend to double down on, on the existing way. They, they, they are still, unfortunately, there's still a, a big um, a facet today's fitness culture that really uh, professes no pain, no gain. Uh, it still tells people that there's no excuses for missing a workout. They, they, this, this is a part of the culture that, you know, I, I'm going to guess it's still going to be around 10, 20 years from now, but there's a lot of people who are in very influential positions that are doubling and tripling down on this because they've built a, a, a model around it. And just like, you know, I always say it, it isn't, it's a bit cynical to, uh, um, and I say this in my book too, it's a bit cynical that the fitness industry requires in most cases, uh, you know, uh, whether a fitness center or a gym or a, a studio, you know, requires contractual obligation in order to survive. They require their, their, um, their members to um, sign a contract so that whether they show up or not, the, the gym still gets paid. And that is to me, part of the infrastructure that is a white flag. They admit that, you know, we can only, <laughs> uh, we can only uh, retain a certain fraction of the population and we know it and we've built it into our business model. And instead of adapting to find ways to fit the, you know, let's say it's uh, you know, 80% of people who keep on dropping out, instead of trying to adapt to those 80 people, we're just going to try and force everyone to be like the 20 and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so, you know, it's a very, you know, multi-layered question that you've asked there. Um, and I think there are pockets, uh, you know, that are, are, there's, there's pockets, there's conversations that are happening. I think, you know, I wouldn't have, of, of taken upon myself to donate in several years of my life to, to write this book. Um, if this was a conversation that was happening on a regular basis, like there, there, and, and, and when I came up with this idea of treating fitness as a relationship, something that you need to nurture and, and focusing on our, our physical activity as something that we want to sustain for not, you know, weeks, but years. Um, like I, I, I don't like if that conversation were happening, I wouldn't have written the book, but it wasn't happening. I wasn't seeing it. Although there are researchers that are quite aligned in this now, but you know, you know what it's like when it researches, you know, it comes out drips and drabs over time. And the industry, fitness industry or industry in general likes to get ahead and they try new things and, and, you know, they control the narrative with the public, they control the marketing. And unfortunately, 
a lot of it is, um, I won't say it's always consciously cause I can't, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to malign the fitness industry. There's so many great, um, uh, representatives in the fitness industry and businesses. There's so many great and progressive and whatnot, but at times they, they are producing information that goes contrary to research and, and at times can be misleading and it's not helping people get to where they want to go. And I should make myself pretty clear where I, when I say get to where people want to go, that is a sustainable relationship with fitness that they can continue over years and years and years you know, they can continue and include in their life long enough to get all of the um, mental and physical benefits, but not just get them, but keep them um, because do, you know, losing weight over the next three months, four months, you know, has a lot of important effects, but, the behavior to get that, if it, it's unsustainable, then it's very tricky to keep that weight off. It's very tricky. And then of course, very tricky to get the, to keep the health benefits of being in this case, you know, having lost X amount of weight. And so we have to look at the sustainable sustainability of the behavior. And right now today, the fitness industry just is not, it's just not part of the discourse. And this is, that was part of the reason it's like, well, you know, like I've, I've said before in, in interviews, it's like, well, no one's really talking about this. So why not me? And I kind of took that ball and ran with it as far as, well, I'm still running with it. I guess I should, I should <laughs> say I'm still running with it. It's not over yet, but it's part of the reason why I even started a part podcast because I wanted to make the conversation um, more common. I wanted to start a conversation and try and maintain it. And, um, so far, so good, I, I should say. And I'm having a lot of meaningful conversations with people like you about this topic and, and getting people a little bit to rethink about what their relationship is with physical activity right now. Yeah, definitely, Kelly. And you're, you're doing an amazing thing in this, in this space that is so, it's so flooded, for lack of a better term, with new fitness crazes and new, you know, new fad diets and, and things like that that are all promoting unsustainable you know, goals. As Again, we touch on that goal world that really the fitness industry, you know, uses a lot to, to market the results and, and the end product. Whereas you're taking a different approach and you're saying that, you know, there shouldn't be an end product. You should find something that you can do for the rest of your life. And, and I think this conversation can be the start of something new. We find a lot of people jumping into these fitness crazes, these fad diets, these eight week challenges and, and promoting a lot of, of effort, time and energy into that craze. But then, you know, once the eight weeks over, they go back into the same habits that they were doing prior to the challenge. So uh, I really love what you're doing, mate. And I, and just to piggyback on that, and I totally understand if there's someone who's listening, who's, you know, you, you know, Matt just described me. That's kind of what I've been doing. I totally get it. I've talked to a lot of people like that, where you get to this place where, you know, I call it a critical mass of psychological pain. <laughs> it's kind of how I describe it, where, you're not feeling good about how, how you look. You're not feeling good about how you feel. You, you, you know, maybe there's some other things going on in your life and you just kind of, you're scraping rock bottom a little bit. And then you're just like, you know what, I got to do something. And so you go out and you, you, you reach out for fitness, which is great, a great instinct to follow. Um, but at that point, with, a, with, with having a goal in hand, usually it's a goal that can say, well, I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try and, um, achieve this goal. I'm going to try to lose this weight. I'm going to, whatever the goal is um, by focusing too much on the goal. Sometimes that, that uh, lurch back into uh, health and fitness and it, you know, gets people trapped in what I call, what I call the pain pendulum. They go from psychological pain and discomfort from, you know, being even self a place of self-loathing um, on, on sort of the extreme side where then they go and like, okay, I f I'm, I'm, doing something positive and doing something, but I'm, I'm doing it in a way that's painstaking that my fitness, I'm, I'm doing activities don't really fit me. I don't really like it or I'm doing them at an intensity that I really don't like, even though I sort of like running, I'm just running really hard and I'm, I'm never really enjoying it. Well, that's has a shelf life. And so when you get to a critical mask of the painstaking physical side, the, I call it the, the pain on the fit on the physical side and that the, that part of the journey is, is, is not enjoyable they drop out and eventually the cycle continues where, you know, in the future, maybe it's a few months that again, the self-talk comes back, you know, like I'm lazy, look at me, they see themselves in the mirror and they don't like what they see. And all that psychological pain starts coming back again until, you know, you guessed it, that critical mass where they can't take, they, sorry, they can't take the, um, they can't take that side of things. And then they go back again. And so they keep repeating the same cycle. And that's that, 
start and stop, start and stop, and nothing really sticks. And, and goals are often a big part of that process. There's, you know, like I said, it's not that it's not for the lack of setting goals. It's the lack of, of, of repeating motivating experiences when it comes to their exercise. And when you have those motivating experiences, you, you, the, the, the pain, the physical side of things that people find so unlikable, about exercise tends to dissipate because now you know yourself well enough that I don't need to be running, um, you know, five, five and a half minute kilometer pace. When I run, I can do six and a half and that is a lot more fun. And I look way more forward to my run when I know that I'm going to be running at a pace that, that I enjoy. And you start looking at your fitness like that, because that's going to strengthen my relationship with running and my body and whatnot. 100% Kelly. And that just brought up a, a conversation that I had with this lady at a cafe about a year, year and a half ago, and we got into conversation. I, I told her that I was a personal trainer, yada, yada, yada. And she told me that she was doing her third eight week challenge for the year. And me being intrigued and me having a pet hate for, you know, eight week challenges and, and, and the whole unsustainable measure towards that, the actual programs, you know, a different story. I do think there's some benefits for people out there that are doing eight week challenges, but for the purpose of this story, yeah. Um, and we got into conversation and all in, all in all, she only devoted exercise to three eight week challenges throughout the year. And then before and after those challenges would not move her body at all. And would just, you know, go to work, sit on the, sit on her desk at work, go home and then sit on the couch at home. And, and, we got into conversation for about an hour, just talking about different ways that she can actually promote sustainability through moving her body. And she told me that, you know, she really likes walking her dog. And I explained to her, I said that, you know, moving your body should be at the forefront of everything, not eight week challenges. And I, I told her, you're exercising for 24 weeks of the year out of 52 weeks. If you are doing high intensity, unsustainable methods during those eight week challenges, what, what about if you walked your dog seven days a week for the whole year what would that look like for you anyway i got her number got in contact with her and you know regularly keep in contact with her progress and how she's finding different things that are suitable to her and, and she's making movement a part of her life as opposed to short stints and i really like how this conversation and this question that you're posing people can change people's mentality towards exercise and movement and and health in general yeah and and you know it sounds like a great conversation and I have two dogs. So, you know, walking them is exercise. So I, <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, good on you. You're recommending that. But, um, you know, in, in, in that particular example, when I was listening to you, I was like, yeah. And you're making suggestions to that say like, you know, you're, we tend to, or I say we like as a society, we tend to compartmentalize exercise into this little thing that we do on occasion in our, in our, in our, uh, in our life. And, it, you know, for it to be a lifestyle, there has to be a, a sort of an ecosystem built around it. There has to be more than it just being like this little thing you do for X amount of time at the gym. Um, if we're looking at the idea of sustainability and, um, you know, there, the, the, um, you know, it's very easy to, to look at the hustle and bustle of uh, daily life today and think, well, that's the best solution we can come up with is, you know, to box fitness into this little thing and not look at our lives in a general, like how can I get enjoyable movement in the way that my uh, life is built um, and still keep all my responsibilities? How can I create that? And sometimes it means, well, maybe finding social circles or a, a, a part of an, a new social circle that is an active one that you're, you're finding like-minded people around an activity that you like and involving, you know, and involving other people like that. But, these are the questions I think, think like you're asking this lady. I think it's not, it's not questions that people are getting asked on a regular basis. And I, you know, so kudos to you to kind of extending that, that reflection, but um, absolutely this, this switch between, um, you know, it being something we do to a lifestyle, there are certain steps in it. And, and then a lifestyle that's sustainable, there's other skills involved in, and I always call them sustainability skills, the sustainability skills that are involved that are completely underdeveloped in most people that make it really challenging to stick to things um, going into the future, you know, long into the future. Like I say, not just weeks and weeks or whatever, the eight week challenge kind of distance, but like, you know, the eight month, the eight, even like thinking about like the eight years, like what is it? I, there's this, there's this uh, mental exercise that I, or mental experiment. I asked people, I said, if you could choose one thing and 
you know, you can answer this if you want, Matt, if, there, if there, you can choose one thing out of everything that's out there, and there are hundreds and hundreds of exercises, physical activities to do. There's one thing you could choose. I had to make it, you, could, you can't do anything else. There's only one physical activity you could do for the rest of your life. What would it be? Uh, for me, probably deadlifts or burpees. They're my favorite, favorite thing ever. I'm pro- everyone's did thinking, you burpees? I did, mate. I did. <laughs> I love them. Well, so, you know, why would, so out of all the things that are out there, why would you choose those things out of everything? And I said like the rest of your life, those are the only two things. Why would you choose those things out of all of the options that are available to you, especially you, you, you're very knowledgeable in all the options that are out there. Why those things? I love the feeling I get or the burning in my throat after, you know, doing a whole round of burpees and, and the sweat dripping like off you. I love that feeling. It's, it, it's exciting for me feeling like I've, I've worked really hard. I've accomplished something and I've moved my body in a way that, you know, is really hard. It's really difficult to do burpees. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I can, I, I confirm that. It's very hard. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm a little older than you. It gets a little harder as you go. <laughs> but, uh, but you see, like, it's, it's interesting. Would you choose to, to, would you choose an activity that you hate? Would you choose something that you didn't like how, how it felt as you did it? Of course not. Why that, that almost seems absurd, but yet when people go and start a new fitness journey, that's kind of what they, they do. They don't give it, a, they don't give the feel of it that much thought. And so, you know, that's part of the self-reflective process that I try. And, you know, that's part of the, uh, I, I guess the objective of my book is to trigger some of those thoughts. And in fact, in the book, I ask that question, like, what would you choose? Like your listeners, if you had to choose one thing for the rest of your life, what would you choose and why? And it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of people would say, well, oh, I'm going to do the thing that I like the least, even, you know, if it's, uh, you know, something that is like, uh, you know, burns the most calories per minute or whatever measure you want to say. I, I w- you would choose something that you would at the bare minimum like enough that you'd feel like repeating it from week to week, right? So everyone has one or two of those things. And so it's a good conversation starter to, to have to get people thinking about, well, yeah, how do I make decisions about what I include in my routine? How am I making those decisions? Am I, do I, am I making those decisions with the idea of sustainability, in mind. And for the most part, today's fitness culture does not give that any oxygen, does not give that conversation um, much oxygen. And that's part of the reason, again, that's part of the reason why I thought, you know, if no one's talking about it, why not me? And that was sort of, you know, how, how this book eventually emerged, uh, my book, Feel Like It. Definitely, Kali. And I know that, you know, I'll be getting my hands on this book and I can't wait to dive into all the thoughts that are inside your head that you've put on paper, mate, because this conversation's been unbelievable so far. Now, Kelly, we've established the, you know, the issue maybe surrounding the goal setting and, and the conversation we're having. How can we put this into practice? And what are some advice for the listeners after they've had this conversation? What's the next step? How do they turn what they want to do into a reality? Well, you know, you have to have, you know, as much as we're talking about the big picture, where a lot of this conversation is around like, okay, the future, sustainability, the long game, uh, the long haul. But let's not forget tomorrow for your listeners or the next opportunity your listeners, any of your listeners have to be active. Um, the only thing that matters is that, that time. And when I say that, I mean, um, you know, treat your next opportunity to be active as if it's like your first time that you're going to put the amount of attention and eagerness into it. And at the same time, when you're thinking about um, your next time, choose something and it might be having to go a little bit off the grid, but choose something that you know you're going to like and do it in a likable way. That means manage the intensity, the intensity in a way that at the end you think, wow, that was a quality session. That was a quality session. I liked it. I challenged myself in a way that I prefer. And by the way, only, you know, your listeners out there, only you can choose the challenge that, that fits you. And sometimes you want to challenge yourself more uh, some days and sometimes you want to challenge yourself less. That's up to you. You have to own that. And by taking control of that, you, you manage the feel of the experience um, um, a lot better. And so on your next session, focus on your next session. How do you want it to feel? What intensity do you want? What activity do you want to do? 
What's what, what, you know, is the activity that, for example, that you might have planned right now for tomorrow, is that something that really fits you or is it time to maybe try something new either tomorrow or sometime this week? So really think about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And that can start like right now that can start your next session it's today, tomorrow, you know, in the very short term future and just start asking yourself the questions of like, can I make this? One of the things I always say is, you know, we're always fixated in, in, in um, the fitness industry and in fitness in general about quantity and metrics and quantification of stuff. Well, to get the quantity we want, which is regular physical activity to get the, 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 the metrics on our side, which is whether it's low, body fat or, you know, uh, more inches here, less inches here, whatever the measure is to do that, you, you need to be able to stick to it over a period of time. And that requires having quality exercise experiences, because when you create quality, this is sort of <laughs> what I say these days, if you create quality, you'll crave quantity, you'll crave more. And, and you can do that starting tomorrow, create a quality experience so that when you're done, you're going to go, man, I can't wait to go back and do that again. And that to me is a, a, an element of success. Wanting to go back again is an element of success that really focuses on owning and taking control of the process because success can't just be, you know, a loss of five pounds. It also has to be, do I want to continue what I'm doing? Do I feel like it? Do I have the motivation to continue what I'm doing? And if I don't, what do I need to change things up? And what do I need to do to change the feel of this journey? Because at the end of everything, it's the feel of the journey that's going to keep people coming back and coming back again. And that's what the loyally active people told me over and over again when I was interviewing them, or I have been interviewing them over the last decade or so. And so that's what I would say to people is focus on that next session, try and create quality. And you'll be surprised the more that you focus on that, that the quality of the session, you'll start craving that quantity. Definitely, Kelly. And it's on us as educators and, and trainers and, and people involved in, in this industry to evolve, to adapt to the new, to people's patterns and, and how they want to move their body instead of, you know, asking them a goal and trying to find, a, a, trying to squeeze that one approach into their lifestyle instead shaping their lifestyle around their, their approach to fitness. And I think that's the way forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to, for your listeners to what I'm going to do is um, if, if your listeners are interested, I'll, I'll put on my website, a free chapter to my book. It's called lessons from the loyal and it's worth you guys checking out. Um, if you're interested in, in just getting another taste of this, just this general conversation about the feel of the fitness experience. And so if you go to kellydell.com slash Matt, that's M A T T um, it'll be up there uh, for you guys to check out. So, I just, you know, if you're interested in hearing more about the conversation, learn more about the content, that's probably the best way. And, and this is a synopsis. This chapter is a synopsis of, oh, countless, I don't even know how many at this point, countless uh, interviews with loyally active people and the lessons that I pulled out, which were, you know, as someone who grew up in sports science and the, the academic side of sports science, I was surprised by. I was, sometimes I was shocked what I was hearing, how different some of the things that, that the loyally active people were kind of doing or at least uh you know their fitness industry were showing compared to what i was being taught in uh, university which was set goals be positive and work hard i'm like well there's something missing to that that's that's the missing that that's the missing piece that i wanted to fill with my book so go and check that uh that web that link at uh, kellydale.com slash matt slash matt and you can get a free chapter Awesome, Kelly. That's so generous of you. Thanks, mate. And for anyone that is wanting to, you know, dive straight into the whole book, where can people purchase it from, mate? Um, you, there, it's available on Amazon. You can get it on um, um, Audible too for those people who like to listen to either podcasts or audiobooks as they work out, which is kind of a nice fit for this uh, general area of being an author and being in fitness. I know people are, you know, they're going for walks, they're running, they're hiking, whatever, and they listen to variety of things so there's it's, you can go to audible and search uh feel like it um it's on amazon or you can go to my website too you can purchase it directly from my website as well those are probably the best places to go right now and and yeah if you got if it scratches your itch to uh after reading the chapter then you can make that jump if you want but i just want to make sure you guys get a, you know a little slice of it 
um, just to learn a little bit about what's what the conversation I think is not happening uh, these days. So I really appreciate the time, Matt, to, to talk about it and get an extended, you know, it doesn't take much for me to go on several tangents, but just to get, you know, give, uh, give me the opportunity to talk more about what I think is a very important and growing area in fitness, which is something that's, uh, uh, you know, being able to personalize a fitness journey around how you want to feel rather than um, what goal that you have. Definitely, Carly. And I know we could have chatted for ages, mate, about this whole topic and, and kept going down the rabbit hole and covering new things, mate. But I, I will let you go to bed, my friend. It's late there. But before, <laughs> we, before we wrap it up, Carly, I, I want to know what is your main message and why do, you do, why do you get up every day to do the things that you do? Well, you, I'll answer the second one first. And, you know, like... I'm a curious cat. And once, once it's one of those things that where, you know, years ago when you asked like, where did this sort of idea for the book come from? What, what not ever since that day where I made that discovery and the primary discovery that really sparked me was the fact that people who struggle to be active really haven't had a really good lucky break when it comes to connecting themselves with something that they really love. They just really haven't, you know, the dating game hasn't served them very well. Let's just put it that way. When I had that sort of epiphany and that realization, when I saw that I couldn't let it go. Right. That's one of those things where it's like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop looking for interviews. I just wanted to talk to people about it. It just was sort of this insatiable thing to the point where I talked myself into, well, maybe I should write a book about it. Right. And so every day it's that curiosity. And I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I wasn't ever expecting myself to, you know, write a book or be an author. Maybe I was interested in being an author at some point, but I didn't know really what, but I wasn't really expecting this book at all. Um, but it's, it's this conversation that I never, it's one of those things. It's like, kind of like you talk about burpees and was it deadlifts? I mean, every day, that's some of the same thing. I, you, you, you can't, it's never a bad day whenever I get to talk or have a conversation about this topic with other people because I'm curious about what what other people are going through I'm curious about people's fitness histories I'm curious about their journeys and deep down I know from my experiences and and um and you know my work in in performing interventions and stuff that I know that a lot of the the content particularly in the, my book and some of the things I talked about today can help people get from A to B um, and for a lot of those people, they've never really gotten far from A. And to know that there's a, 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 a way of looking at fitness that can help them get over the hump really excites me. And so talking about that gets me up um, every day. And, and that's why I, you know, we talked about before the show about podcasting. And, you know, I have a podcast too, of course. And, and that has sort of been an extension of all of this is that being able to share my message, it's, it's exciting to be able to, um, to talk about this. And it's not just because, Hey, here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, this guy's, you know, I've got this, I've got this platform. I'm, I'm an author. I've got a podcast you you know, come listen to me because I'm an expert, but it's, it's, I represent also the stories of all these people I've interviewed. And without really um, aggregating them and putting them in the book and talking about them and their stories, you know, these are, these are stories or experiences that would go, you know, go unsaid, they go untold and there's so much value in them. And I've just happened to be able to kind of compress them in this metaphor, this relationship metaphor around this question, which is how you want to feel. And uh, I, every day, I, I can talk about this all day, every day, as you can tell. And that's really what gets me up in, in the morning. And I've, I've answered the second question to the point where I've actually forgotten the first question. (laughs) (laughs) And and if you've forgotten it, you know, we'll have to roll back the tape. (laughs) The first question was about your main message, but I think that's quite evident that you're trying to change the, you know, the approach to health and fitness. Would you agree? Yes. Fitness. my, My main message is instead of chasing goals and treating fitness as an outcome, Let's start treating it as a relationship to be nurtured and strengthened over time. And that's the key to getting all these benefits that everyone talks about. And we can only get those benefits if we create a sustainable foundation, a a sustainable approach uh, to this and go out and practice it.
Definitely, my friend. And I can't thank you enough for your time today, Kelly, and, you know, sharing your, your insight into this, into, this mar- into this field that I think needs a lot of attention. And, and you're definitely a, a, um, a passionate advocate for, for changing the way that we approach health and fitness and, and for finding a sustainable balance that, you know, we can do for the rest of our lives. So thank you so much for your time, mate. Oh, and I thank you very much for, for those kind words and congratulations to you. I know you're approaching almost a year for your podcast, which is uh, a feed unto itself. And I think your, uh, your curiosity in this topic, your, your, um, your eagerness to learn more and for ongoing learning is evident. And I know that, you know, you're going to be, a, if you're not, if not already, a, a terrific resource for clients, for educators. So keep doing what you're doing. It's, it sounds awesome and I'm happy to contribute. Thanks, Kelly. Much appreciated, my friend. I'll let you you get to bed. <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. It's early day tomorrow. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Take care, mate. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala. And remember, don't settle for anything less than euphoria.